This is Unmind with Great Cloud Michael Elliston Roshi. Design and Zen Summary 4 Social Path All are on the path, though many do not know it. This path is no path. The focus of this segment, the intersection of the social sphere and the path to cessation, sounds dangerously close to social path a term that is becoming more and more familiar in the era of extreme divisiveness in the culture and political landscape, not only in the USA, but around the globe. What more appropriate designation for the president living in luxury in Russia, who finds it desirable to be constantly bombing and shelling civilians, women and children in Ukraine? But then, what name is most fitting for a president who tries to steal an election? Narcissist doesn't quite cut it. When we return from our meditation to our family, or sally forth into the public fray, crossing the boundary between the personal and social spheres as shown in the graphic model, we enter the original frontier that Buddha must have encountered the night of his profound enlightenment some 2,500 years ago. Perhaps the more accurate term would be re-enter, as the social sphere into which he had been born and raised had not changed, he had changed. In the 1960s, the so quote reentry problem became a ubiquitous trope, designating that segue back into so-called normality following a psychedelic-induced trip to what appeared to be another world. One of my design students at U of I, Chicago Circle Campus, described it as, quote, dumping out all the drawers in the house in one big pile, and the next day having to put all that stuff back where it belongs. A psychotropic, rather than an alcoholic, hangover. Of course, we never completely leave the social realm, even when intently focusing on the personal in meditation. The influences of our particular social milieu are ever-present even in the deep isolation of meditation. The four spheres are not only outside of us, they are also inside. The body's biology and inherited DNA are obvious examples of the natural. Subtle movements of chemistry and the neurological verge on the microcosmic universal as do such subtle phenomena as circadian rhythms, subliminal responses to sunlight, and the tidal pull of the moon. Not that we are conscious of these influences. The inner social sphere includes such unconscious elements as self-identity, i.e. association with family ancestry, including persuasions such as identifying with the political party that our parents favored. In receiving the Zen Buddhist lay precepts, we embrace interpretations of others regarding the avoidance of killing, stealing, lying, and so forth, on a conscious level. But we harbor built-in precepts inherited from parents and peers, 
all unbeknownst to ourselves. Zen's precepts often belabor the obvious, but they bear repetition. Considering the intersection of the social sphere with the path, we call to mind its eight dimensions, not capitalized here, in order to embrace them as universal and natural, as well as social and personal, rather than as holy writ. Right view and thought are understanding, which together comprise right wisdom. Right speech, action, and livelihood are right conduct. And right effort, mindfulness, and meditation taken together as right discipline. With our usual caveat that the term right, as used here, is more of a verb than an adjective. It indicates taking right action to correct our worldview and understanding bringing them more into alignment with the worldview of Buddhism, or Buddha himself. One could argue that effort, mindfulness, and meditation live entirely within the personal sphere of action, as exemplified by Bodhidharma, alone in his cave in ancient China. But we point to the halo, or ripple effect, of our personal discipline upon others around us. Once we do leave the cushion, and re-enter the social realm. Master Dogen is attributed with encouraging us to do one thing and do it well enough that we can even do it in front of other people. I've not been able to locate this saying in the written record, but in his famous Gendro Koan, actualizing the fundamental point, he declares that doing one practice is practicing completely. This is analogous to the current Zen trope that asks, if you want to drill for water, would you drill a lot of shallow wells or one deep well? This applies broadly. In the fields of performing arts and athletics, connections of the discipline of personal effort to social performance becomes obvious through repetition of rehearsal and practicing routines, as does the recommendation that, quote, practice makes perfect notwithstanding the Buddhist tenet of fundamental imperfection. But the training, while clearly physical, is not only physical. Highly trained athletes are often guilty of making, quote, mental errors. Gymnasts, musicians, dancers, and pole vaulters who persevere and break records or move audiences to laughter or tears are examples of this principle. They realize the non-separation of the personal and the social, following the path of process and progress through which we integrate interdiscipline and outer conduct. In Zen, as well as the arts, we arrive at a convergence in which wisdom emerges on physical as well as mental and emotional planes. Let's take a brief look at each of the eight dimensions and its connection to the social sphere, beginning where our practice begins with right meditation, sometimes rendered traditionally as contemplation or concentration. That there is right meditation suggests that there could be wrong meditation. Again, the usage is not exactly right versus wrong here on the personal level of meditation practice. But we can agree that there may be wrong attitudes or usages of meditation in the social context. For example, if we make a divisive or wedge issue of our zazen practice within the dynamics of our household, 
allowing it to affect our relationships to our family, spouse, children, parents, even in-laws, that might be an example of wrong meditation. An old saying holds that if your spouse and children are happy, your meditation is working. Adding an hour of meditation to our daily routine should not be a cause celeb, but can be inserted at an hour and in a place that does not disrupt or disturb anyone. In fact, practicing Zazen should add to the harmony of the household, just as it does to the Zen community, or Sangha. Right mindfulness in the social realm would suggest extending this personal caution and humility to the workspace, whether in the office or in the field. Making a display of wearing a wrist mala, for example, calls upon our fellow workers, managers, and team members to respond with questions or comments. While Zen practice has definite benefits in terms of our relationship to colleagues under the stressful conditions of productivity demands, making an issue of it with people who have little or no familiarity with Zen is not advisable. It introduces an irrelevant and even irritating element into a situation already fraught with potential for friction and conflict e.g. along political or ideological lines. Not that we should be evasive about it or try to hide the fact that we engage in a practice, meditation, that has its detractors and does not yet enjoy the kind of mainstream acceptability that it is gaining. A similarly inappropriate and more common phenomenon is the tendency of some to insert their religious views into the business environment when the business itself has little or nothing to do with religion. I have worked for a relatively large corporation where one of the partners held regular prayer meetings. He was also involved in an illicit affair with one of the employees. Along with being mindful of our practice, we practice mindfulness of context. The right effort plays into the social context as well, a witness as our tendency to overdo and overthink all of these relationships, sometimes to the detriment of the relationship. In a comment I came across recently, a mother cogently summed up one example of this syndrome, suggesting that we would be a whole lot less worried about what other people thought of us if we realized how seldom they do. We've all been there, done that, when a colleague or boss makes a comment, and we spend the next all-too-long period of time ruminating over it, fretting about what the person really meant, and insulted that they do not appreciate us for the contribution we make to the corporate cause. There are innumerable books published about this. One I heard reviewed on television, titled Neanderthals at Work, by Albert J. Bernstein. He suggests that in the modern office setting, you have three distinct types of coping strategies or views of the situation. One he called something like the politician, another the believer, and the third the genius. The politician is an example of the bad boss syndrome, schmoozes the people above them while largely ignoring those lower on the ladder, or worse, criticizing them as a way of improving his position. The believer thinks the politician is immoral, feeling that as long as they come to work and do their job, they should not have to play politics. 
The genius comes out of the computer room to solve the problem du jour, but is often culpable in creating the problem. The politician looks down on the other two as naive, simply not understanding how things work in the modern office. Focusing on the boss is the natural approach to the reporting structure. The problem is not that these tendencies exist, but their adherents do not understand each other, which exacerbates the friction between them. Which brings us to another four-pointed model, my take on the traditional Zen jargon term, Samadhi, usually capitalized to stress the high regard in which it is held. I reduce it to the more prosaic balance. This concept is simple enough to grasp that no illustration is required. The first of the four is physical Samadhi, the centered and balanced form of the Zazen posture, leaning neither to the right or left, or front or back, as Master Dogen explains what it is not. From it, or along with it, comes the second samadhi, emotional balance, more calm, less anxiety. Thirdly, we begin to experience mental samadhi, more clarity, less confusion. And finally, after some time, social samadhi, more harmony, less friction in our relationships to others. These four comprehend the inner personal and outer social benefits or side effects of Zen meditation practice. Most people want to leap to the social aspect right away to handle interpersonal transactions with greater patience and compassion. But Zen goes deeper, of course. When the upright posture becomes more natural and comfortable, the heart-mind, Japanese Shin, becomes calmer and clearer naturally. When one becomes more patient with the monkey mind and more comfortable in one's own skin through Zazen, it becomes easier to have patience with others. But we have to be patient with the time that it takes to get over ourselves and to divest ourselves of a lot of excess baggage we carry around. This is why Zen takes so long to penetrate to the deeper levels of Samadhi as a transformational experience sometimes regarded as the precursor to the fabled, fabled spiritual insight, Japanese Satori of Zen. Summing up so far, we have looked briefly at the universal existence of dukkha, change or suffering, that we are to fully understand. Its natural origin or craving, which we are to fully abandon, and which is built into birth as a human being, which is considered the necessary condition for Buddhist awakening. And the social path recommended by Shakyamuni Buddha, which we are to follow to its ultimate conclusion in the cessation of suffering. A caveat is in order as to this last claim. In the Heart Sutra we chant, given emptiness, no suffering, no end of suffering. This is not a contradiction but indicates the, that the kind of suffering that can come to an end is that self and mutually inflicted suffering, in, intentionally and unintentionally, that we visit upon ourselves and others. The natural suffering of aging, sickness, and death, which come with the territory of sentient existence, do not, cannot come to an end. But embracing that fact as reality and perfectly natural mitigates the suffering 
as a human meme. Continuing, we will next take up the remaining pair of the combinations of the Four Spheres and the Four Noble Truths, the personal and the cessation of suffering, which necessarily involves the Eightfold Path to cessation. Personal cessation is the only kind there is. Stay tuned one more time. Unmind is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at aszc.org. You can support these teachings by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.